Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back to This Ends at Prom. We are in week two of spooky season. I am uh... <laughs> I am one of your co-hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I am here with my lovely, exquisite, perfect, fantastic wife. The other Colangelo, Harmony. How are you doing today, Harmony? I'm good. We're actually in a uh, new recording setup because there's currently a chainsaw outside where we normally record, and we're just going to see how, how this goes. It's a little bit warmer. It's a it's a tad bit warmer, but we are very fortunate that we are living in the Midwest, and by fortunate, I mean, uh, we're here, but it could be worse. It's like we, 70 degrees outside. It's not that bad. <laughs> we don't live somewhere that's currently on fire because, um, if you did not know, we record these episodes pretty far in advance because it uh, gives us plenty of time to edit and, uh, you know, not be panicky about it things. It just makes my life so much easier. <laughs> it makes Harmony's life so much easier. Um, so currently we are recording this uh, when the West Coast is on fire. Thank you, gender reveal parties, for being the fucking worst again. Yeah, it's where everything looks like that one scene from Mandy. <laughs> yeah, the whole world looks like Mandy just right now. bright red. Oh, God, what's wrong with people? Only you can prevent gender reveal parties, friends. Well, the um, the woman who came up with the idea for the gender reveal party like 12 years ago has now denounced them because they've gotten way out of proportion. Not only that, but they also have a non-binary child. Like, the child they threw the gender reveal party for came out as non-binary, so... Shit happens. Just... Oh, God. <laughs> just the dirt worst. But something that's not the dirt worst is the movie we are talking about today. Harmony, what movie are we talking about today? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Fuck yeah, we are. The movie. Fuck yeah, we are talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. And before we dive into this, the thing that's so frustrating about this movie is that people who love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series, um, tend to completely dominate the conversation, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, gets sort of left behind. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely the... uh... The sort of older child who gets less favoritism than oh, the younger child. Absolutely. And it is also really irritating because this movie celebrated an anniversary a couple of years ago and there were all of these like revisiting pieces of, oh, well, let's actually look back at Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. And everything is just people talking about how it's not the series. And I think that does a really big disservice to what I believe is a really fun movie. It is. And I mean... 
not to dive too much into it too early, but uh, I'm a Buffy movie fan, not mm-hmm. a Buffy show fan. Yes, yes, you are. And... Like, by a <laughs> very large margin. <laughs> and that's definitely something that we will tackle, whereas I am an equal opportunity Buffy lover. I love them both. Um, I do favor the movie. But, you know, we, we'll get into that. So bringing back our, you know, fun, fancy discussion from Fandango... The synopsis of the movie, for those who have not seen it, is for Buffy Summers, and first of all, they never actually give her a last name in the movie, so Fandango, you are already retconning information using things from the series, so strike against you. But for Buffy Summers, played by Christy Swanson, nothing is the same after she meets Merrick, played by Daddy Daddy Donald Sutherland. Merrick tells the teen that he's been sent to train her to fight vampires, and he proves himself by displaying his supernatural powers. Buffy is a quick study and soon takes fellow student Oliver Pike, played by Luke Perry, R.I.P., under her wing, repeatedly saving him from fierce bloodsuckers. But when a very dangerous vampire, Rutger motherfucking Hauer, gets rambunctious, she must go to war Again. Again. For the first time again. <laughs> I mean, theoretically. So <laughs> so the story, be- like the mythos behind the Buffy character, which, again, like this is not the same as the series, um, is that Buffy is the chosen one. And the chosen one is a reincarnation, um, always, a, always a girl, always a woman, of the person who is going to save humanity from the vampires. And Merrick reincarnates, I guess, as needed in order to train the Chosen One. He reincarnates as Merrick, the same old man every <laughs> yes. time. Which I'm very curious about because they don't really dive into that mythos. Like, does he just die and then wake up the next day and he's still, like, grown-ass Donald Sutherland? Maybe. I mean... A lot of people spend a lot of money to have eyebrows that good, so would you want to be anyone else? You know what? That's a very good point, because if I'm going to have to be any of the Sutherlands, I want to be Donald. Like, Dirty Dozen, let's be real. Like, yes. Donald Sutherland is a handsome man, even still. He's way better looking than Kiefer. I know, which is like like such blasphemy whenever I tell people that. They're like, but David and the Lost Boys, and I'm like... Yeah, but Donald Sutherland and literally fucking everything. <laughs> I heard someone one time, um, so in, in the most recent Metal, in Metal Gear Solid 5, Kiefer Sutherland plays Solid Snake, mm-hmm. and somebody who had no idea what Kiefer Sutherland looked like went, oh, he's got a really nice voice, like, I love this, and then went and looked him up, and it's like, oh, he looks like a potato! <laughs> I don't think Kiefer looks like a potato. I think Which that's... is really harsh, but... <laughs> yeah, I think that's a little bit mean, but like... I know, it's not, he's not that bad, but it just, that reaction made me laugh really hard, <laughs> especially because I've always preferred Donald. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we, we stand a Donald Sutherland in this household. Um, so, so that's sort of our, our, our synopsis of, um, what's going on with Buffy. So let's talk about these main characters. First of all, let's talk about the titular role, the title role, Buffy. How do you feel about Buffy? I like Buffy. I think she's really fun. She's um, she's really similar to Cher from Clueless, which would come Agreed. out a couple years later. And I think that's just like the characterization of that Southern California upper class white girl kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. Cher's from Beverly Hills. I think this movie's set in Pasadena primarily. Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to gear it to being in Pasadena. Yeah, so that's where they're that's where they're going for. So 
she's not as wealthy as Cher is, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's the same kind of thing and the same sort of personality, interests, vapidness, and that's like a disservice to the arc that both characters end up having, but I feel very similarly to Buffy how I do about Cher, at least from an initial standpoint. I think I like Buffy's arc better than Cher's. I would agree with you on that one. I really enjoy the arc with Buffy, and we'll kind of get to that when we start talking about theming. But one of the things I like the most about Buffy in this movie is that she is very sure of herself. Oh, yeah. And she she makes no apologies for who she is, the things she likes, and why she is the way she is. And I think that a lot of people find the first half of this movie, Buffy, to be difficult to... I guess, identify with because they don't want to identify with somebody who is kind of bitchy. (laughs) Well, she's not really supposed to be likable and that serves her arc. Agreed. And that's what I wish more people would, you know, (laughs) take into consideration. I mean, she has that incredible line where she's talking to Merrick about how she doesn't want to be the chosen one. And she says, all I want to do is graduate from high school, go to Europe, marry Christian Slater, and die. And like, honestly... It's kind of a good life plan. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to do very much, like you don't have a lot of big dreams and aspirations outside of that, if you're completely self-servicing, yeah, perfect. Goals. Yeah, and I think that there's also this this weird thing that I, I never could quite wrap my head around where the same people who are like, yes, feminism means that you get to make a choice. You want to be a big business lady? Be a big business lady. You want to be a stay-at-home mom? Be a stay-at-home mom. And they'll champion that, but then they'll hear something like that where Buffy's like, yeah, I just want to go to Europe and like marry a hot guy and die, and like that's my life. And they're like, um, you should be striving for more. Hey, if you want to be like a gold digger, you know, live your life. She's not a gold digger. She's a trophy wife. There's a difference. My bad. <laughs> but, like, I don't understand that criticism, and it always really frustrates me when I hear it. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. You, if, you, if you're going to say that you strive for, for equality and feminism, then, like, guess what? Her goal is to do that? Totally fucking okay. <laughs> yeah. Anna Nicole Smith had a good route. Yeah. And she has given us a gift to the world by every gift that she is a part of. Yeah. She's way better than she should be in Illegal Aliens. <laughs> That's also that very true. disaster that I love. That's very true. So, so uh, since we'll do a little bit more deep diving on Buffy um, when we get to you know theming and things, uh, let's talk about Merrick. Let's talk about Daddy Donald Sutherland. How do you like Merrick as a character? So I know I've noticed since editing the past episodes, one thing that I tend to pick up on myself when we have these conversations about characters Mm -hmm. is the first thing that I always comment on is their looks. And I think that that is totally fair because that's the first thing you notice about characters. Right. That's humanity. Yeah. Like when you're, when you're in public and you look at someone and go, "Mm, those shoes, like Mm -hmm. that's a thing that people do. So I feel a little on one hand, I'm like, I feel vapid, but I'm like, no, because looks matter, especially when you're doing like costume design and stuff like that. You need to have like a, a striking image And Donald Sutherland, as Merrick, is a very striking man and not just in how handsome he is. Mm -hmm. Because he just cuts a really good silhouette. Like, he doesn't change his clothes, like, the whole movie. But it's a good look for him. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really nice juxtaposition because he has this you know, nice, rich earth tone color palette, this big hat, this oversized jacket. 
And then he's in this world where everything is brightly colored in neon like a goddamn cartoon. Yeah, it kind of makes him, and it, it serves the plot and like the theming of it all, but it makes him feel like he's displaced in time. Yes. Because he looks perfect. like he's dressed for like a noir film. Yes, it's fantastic. It reminds me so much. Honestly, the misplaced in time is, is perfect because it's very almost Bill and Ted. Oh yeah, and this is like the same time period. Yeah, so it's just like this random person that looks like he's just been sort of dropped into this situation, which I mean, for all intents and purposes. Isn't Rufus also wearing basically the same outfit? Minus like the hat? Yeah, I mean like add sunglasses and it cuts a pretty similar silhouette. Yeah, which like it's it's the inverse of this movie in a way where it's Rufus is coming from the future. So he's like wearing vintage. So he's cool like (laughs) that. But also like that's a science fiction movie in a very loose adventure sense. And this is a fantasy horror film Mm -hmm. in a kind of more loose sense of fantasy and they're going in opposite directions of time but they're sister movies kind of because San Dimas is like right next door to Pasadena. Yeah I think they're like 20 miles away or something like that so they're pretty close so yeah these movies I would say are are pretty closely related in in my opinion. Are are we gonna get a 25 year later Buffy sequel now, like we did with Bill and Ted? I hope so. I want I would that. love that. Except I would love if it was not Christy Swanson, because she is like a crazy Trumper now. If you didn't yeah. know that, I'm so sorry to break that news to you. It breaks my heart. I know, but we, we just watched Bill and Ted 3 recently, and it made me feel really good, and now I'm just <laughs> fantasy booking. <laughs> oh, it did make me feel good. And also, like, Luke Perry couldn't be there, just... Maybe this is a bad idea. Let's not do this. <laughs> Let's not do this. Buffy is now a crazy person. Pike is dead. Every, everything's terrible. Donald Sutherland can't come back because he is also... No, he could get reincarnated. He could... Oh, that's true. He could get reincarnated. Yeah. So whatever. It's... This is a mess. <laughs> back on topic. <laughs> back on topic. Back on topic. So, I really like Merrick's character because mm-hmm. he... Th- this movie at its core is a hero's journey story. Yes. And he fills, you know, your your Alfred the Butler, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Merlin type role for yes. our young hero. Yes. And he's really likable at it cuz he's like he's stern, but he he's he has an air about him that mm-hmm. is very like authoritative and believable without really having to try to be and I just I kind of trust him even when he has like weird setups where it's like Buffy you must come with me tonight to the graveyard. All right, let me get this straight, okay? You want me to go to the graveyard with you because I'm the chosen one and there are vampires? Yes. Does Elvis talk to you? <laughs> He's so mad. Like, he is not here to fuck around. He's like, we have a job to do and you just need to get on board now. Yeah, and like the setup for that is like, oh no, this feels... With no context, it's like, this is not, this is not good. This is, this is bad news bears. <laughs> this is stranger danger. And like, they acknowledge it. And, and that's something that I really love and respect about Joss Whedon's writing, because that would be the response everybody in the audience would have is like, fuck you. No, I'm not going. Well, he's also wording it in the worst ways possible. <laughs> right. And it, that's very much intentional. And that's, that's something that I really like. And I like that this movie gives us sort of an insight into what would become, you know, Whedon's career. Mm-hmm. And on that note, one of the big criticisms that this movie gets, um, especially by fans of the series, is that Joss Whedon has been very, very open about how difficult working with Donald Sutherland was and that he, you know, frequently changed 
the dialogue for his character, which sometimes could change like mood or intention. And while I agree, I think that it's kind of a dick move whenever an actor is, you know, deliberately changing the script that's been given to them. I kind of don't care when it comes to this. I don't either. Because I really like Merrick. Yes, on, on principle, I agree with you. Like, you're being, Donald Sutherland's being very difficult. Right. But... I also can't really picture Donald Sutherland saying a lot of, like, the cheesy, pseudo-self-aware, cool, dorky lines that Joss Whedon writes. Right. And that's kind of an issue I have with Joss Whedon's writing across a lot of his stuff, where he writes a lot of characters to have the same sort of snappy dialogue, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't fit this character. Mm -hmm. So I honestly feel like Donald Sutherland's allowed to do that, because, like, what are you going to do? Tell that man what to do? No. Right. Yeah. Again, like, yeah, on principle, not a fan of that decision. But at the same time, I think that it really helps keep this movie kind of grounded because compared to everybody else in in the movie, Buffy and Merrick are kind of playing the straight men. Yeah. I mean, Merrick certainly more than Buffy. But yeah, everyone else is like ridiculous and they are more grounded. Yes. And I think that that's that's the heart of this movie is that these two are the most real and identifiable everybody else is you know completely over the top and and campy and i i love that they're all basically cartoons and they're colored like cartoons yes absolutely oh my god the costume design in this is just wonderful and Ugh. this is that really awesome moment in time where it wasn't still super 80s but it hadn't yet become like prime 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 time 90s yeah the 90s didn't start till like 92 basically and that's when this came out so it was recorded in like or filmed in 91 yes so you know you look at a character like like a hillary like hillary swank's character who all of her outfits look like they were plucked right off of blossom there's definitely some outfits that some of this uh you know background characters have that look like you know lost characters from episodes of Clarissa Explains It All. And I, I love how bright and of its time everything is about it. Yeah, I just really like this time period for, like, aesthetic purposes. I do, too. And it's weird that this sort of fashion is kind of coming back. Yeah. I mean, garish colors, very bright things, as well as, like, the uh, sort of lo-fi pastels are coming back Mm -hmm. so like that's like the dark way are going people are going with this but also it's just like hey we're gonna go bright and sunny and be obnoxious and i'm about that it's not my look because it doesn't work for me but i love that it it's a thing now again i am i am too and like one of the things that i i have such a love hate relationship with are the cheerleading outfits because i love that it's like this bright kind of garish yellow and purple because all school color outfits are just atrocious and they have you know some of the girls not all of them but some of them have like the purple like spandex leotards and leggings Mm -hmm. which is so abrasive and I love it but also it then makes it even more noticeable whenever they are cheering or dancing that none of them actually know how to cheer or dance you complained about that like this movie starts with a cheer routine, and you were complaining immediately about their, like, <laughs> choreography and lack of skill. Ready? Okay. How funky is your chicken? How funky is your chicken? How loose is your goose? Our goose is totally loose. I can't help it. It's one of those things where 
it, it frustrates the hell out of me because movies will go to such lengths to make sure that something looks authentic and then dancing, cheering, flag twirling, baton twirling, ice skating, gymnastics, whatever, all of these typical quote unquote like girl sports, they tend to not have any attention drawn to them. Like, and it drives me fucking crazy. The literal only thing I do not like about Assassination Nation is that girl in the end parade baton twirling who doesn't know what she's actually doing. And I'm like, was it, you couldn't have found someone who actually knows how to twirl baton. There are hundreds of thousands of us. Come on. See, what's really funny is that as much as you complain about this, cause you're from that world. I think about when I was in marching band and, uh, no, this is accurate. <laughs> like our color guard, our majorettes, they were absolutely terrible. We would go to state and the band would get ones typically across the board. And then it would be like, color guard, three. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely from a far more competitive and elite world. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to there being a little bit more skill uh, involved, but... But also you're just totally neglecting, as far as this costume design goes, that those skirts are culottes. <laughs> Cool and incredible. I always forget it because this is okay. So, for people who don't know, this is not my first time seeing this movie. We watched it a couple years ago for the first time in preparation for um, a Buffy bar trivia that I host at the bar I work at, where it's the different theme every week. And not to brag, but we were voted best in the Cleveland area. But I had, I, I don't know much about the Buffy show because I just can't get into it. But you said, oh my god, you have to watch the movie, you will love it. Because I know you, and I know what you like, and was I wrong? No, this is totally my brand. <laughs> but I've seen this movie several times now, and every single time I forget they are culottes, until she, like, throws a kick into, like, someone's chest, and I go, they're culottes! <laughs> and what's funny is they're only culottes for a couple of, like, so first off, technically, I guess it's a skort, because culottes typically are like down to your knees but no, i don't think it's a squirt because it doesn't have a squirt have a wraparound this is usually... culottes look like a skirt because they've got that stripe around the thing that makes it look like a cheerleader skirt but they actually have leg holes well i think that makes them culottes culottes though technically they usually go to like your knee and they almost look like a long skirt capri these were trendy culottes <laughs> but what's funny is that this like they are only culottes in like certain situations which i don't know if maybe that was like in christy swanson's rider or something because there are definitely moments where they like lift their skirts up and they have like gold spanky shorts underneath it maybe some of are you sure you're not just thinking of the new guy which we also watched the same day. Oh my day. god, I'm definitely thinking of the new guy. So we watched the, we watched the new guy the same day as this because I, this is a funny story actually. So I've been rebuying, since we're talking about movies from BJ's childhood, I went online and bought some of the crappy movies I watched when I was like a preteen <laughs> and stuff like that. And all of them have like a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes or lower. It's atrocious. But the one that I really wanted to get because I'm like, oh, I loved this movie when I was a kid and it holds up okay. It's got a lot of good heart is the new guy... And, um, yeah, it's not good. And no, no. I got to comment on how it's funny rewatching my movies. and Especially back to back with my movies. Yeah, it's funny rewatch my movies with your movies because the thing I said was, man, watching your movies, like, it's, it's, they're good. Like, they hold up, they've got whatever. And then we watch my movies and go, no, your movies are actually good. Mine are just, <laughs> like, I have nostalgia for them. They're terrible. Which is, you know, again, part of this podcast is looking back at the movies I watched as a kid and going, are these actually good or are they not good? And There's good parts to them. But the best part of this story is that I bought this online used from like a Goodwill. 
and they sent me a bootleg. It is absolutely It's a bootleg. bootleg. <laughs> Someone bootlegged the new guy, and honestly, they did a pretty okay job. But that's not the point. <laughs> I spent $1.49 <laughs> plus shipping for this. Well, I'm sorry that you got a <laughs> like an inkjet printer version of the cover. Hey, at least it's got like art on the disc. Usually yeah, they don't. It does. It's... They went above and beyond for this movie, they... and they didn't have to. <laughs> they worked hard, but you know this is not a new guy podcast. But yeah, I absolutely one million percent just confused both of their cheerleading outfits. They're, they're very similar films. Yes, but yes, no. Coolettes are technically you know pants that go down to your to your knees or your uh, like capri length. But they, so I guess, they're like a skort culotte combination. They're, they're... They're a Swiss army skirt. These ain't your mother's culottes. These ain't your mama's culottes. We've got ourselves some risque culottes. Yes, so (laughs) I think we've thoroughly covered all of that now. Would you like to move on to side characters? (laughs) We can, but we do have to make one moment before we go into side characters. Back on the thing that frustrates me about the cheerleading, which I... It's something that's, Just keep harping on I just, it. Oh, I can't. It's something that's bothered me for my entirety of loving this movie, and you were the first person to, you know, put this in my brain to understand why this choice was made. So, the opening scene... Outside of, there's a cold open um, in the, in like the Middle Ages sort of thing. It's um, the Dark Ages or, because sorry. Pasadena is, is the, the Light, light ages. ages. Yes. So outside of the cold open where we sort of get the idea of like, you know, vampire slayers have been around forever, um, we have this cheerleading routine during a, during a basketball game and they are cheering, but they're not facing either of the audiences. No, they're essentially facing the wall. Yeah, and that's not how that works. No, you face your hometown (laughs) crowd. Yes, you face your home team's crowd. And it's always just like driven me up the fucking wall. I'm like, this. Why is this choice being made? And then you go, oh, because there's that beautiful like glass window behind it. They probably wanted that shot. And I'm like, oh yeah, duh. Like that's the most no shit, idiot. Yeah, it looks really nice. And there's a scene later with a basketball scene that's supposed to be at night because one of the players is a vampire. Yeah. And they clearly filmed it the same day because it's bright as hell. (laughs) And then she runs outside and it's dark. It's pitch black. You're like, what? What the fuck just happened? I'm just like watching this going, why is he running around? It's daylight. And it's like, oh, I guess it's not. (laughs) So now that we've gotten all that nonsense out of the way, yes, let's talk about some side characters. Um, so let's first go with, uh, let's, let's go with our love interest, Mr. Oliver Pike, played by Luke Perry. How do you feel about Pike? Well, to keep with my trend of noticing physical attributes first, (laughs) growing up as a child in the 90s and, like, early 2000s, people would always talk about, like, how Luke Perry was, like, a teen dream and he was, like, just a heartthrob. And on 90210, I didn't get it okay because i would see pictures of him and like i think like retrospectively i look and I go, oh it's kind of he's doing a james dean thing i guess mm-hmm. his face is in a fight with his forehead and losing and it just doesn't work for me but watching buffy and like he's this kind of dirt bag mm-hmm. for like the first portion of the movie and still kind of a dirt bag but you know he cleans himself up towards the end he's a lovable dirt bag he's such a lovable dirt bag i love him very much but Having his hair down like that, where it's, like, kind of got, like, this shaggy fringe across his forehead, like, I'm like, okay. Like, this is maybe, this is the Luke Perry look that works for me. Not the soul patch, that needs to go away. (laughs) But, like, this is the look I like. I'm personally a 
Riverdale, later in life, Luke Perry, you know, Papa Andrews. That's just me, though. I mean, he, he does turn into a bit of a daddy. Yeah, he really fucking does. And in the inverse of Donald and Kiefer, I think Luke Perry's son is much prettier. Yes, Jungle Boy is... Some, he is some hot shit. so pretty. Also, if you if you did not know out there, friends, Luke Perry's son is a professional wrestler named Jungle Boy, and he's very talented and has hair like a lion's mane. It's, and it's beautiful. Amazing. It and is he, just glorious. His tag team partners are a very tiny man who's like five feet tall and weighs maybe 80 pounds and a wrestling dinosaur named Luchasaurus. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, wrestling's great. Wrestling is great. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, so back we're to having Pike. so many fun tangents. This is a, after some of the like last couple episodes that we've done, which are exhausting, like the ten <laughs> things I hate about you one, which was just it drained me for like the next forty four hours. Yeah, you were not right for like two days. It was exhausting. <laughs> I felt so miserable because I'm like I'm not having a good time with this conversation, but now we're doing this. I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm glad. Like this this campy fun movie is bringing me life in these dark ages. But okay, so outside of his appearance. I'm a little confused about what kind of student he is, because as far as I can tell, he doesn't go to school. I think it's implied that he's either a dropout or maybe he's like some burnout, because him he and- He doesn't go to school. If he goes, he does not go in this movie, I don't think. I, I've, n- I've never seen him in the school. Yes, he's just hanging out with, with David Arquette, and they're just getting high and drunk all the time, which is like, that's fun. I, I would party with David Arquette. Who would not want to party with David Arquette? He seems like a very nice man. Yeah, and, and he's perfect in this. We'll get to that in a little bit. Oh my god. He's so good. But I like I like Pike's character because, again, not to compare it to the show and fall into that same fucking trap that everyone else does, but I always will talk to people about how much I like Pike as a character, and they're always like, uh, don't you mean Spike? And I'm like, no, motherfucker. No, the actually I mean cute one. Pike. <laughs> and I think that he's great because he's... From Jump Street, we kind of know he's a little bit of a dirtbag. Like, he's harassing people in a movie theater. If you talk in a movie theater and you're not doing it in the sense of, like, having fun with your fellow audience member, then, like, go fuck yourself. I hate you. I mean, he's totally in the right, and it just really (laughs) hammers home that Buffy's unlikable for the first part of this movie. I mean, kind of, yeah. And And then he hits on her in a bar later. While eating just a hot dog bun. Yeah. Which is kind of great to me. Um, but we get this idea that he's kind of a dirtbag, so we know what to expect from him immediately. So the fact that he does kind of get his shit together and does so for, you know, the benefit of not only just himself, but of the greater good and of, you know, saving humanity, that's an admirable trait because I like that. I like that he, it, it tells us deep down that he's not just this awful piece of shit, that he's like, no, I do care. I just... <sighs> fuck, now I do have to care. Yeah, I mean, his arc is, you know, it's the same trajectory as Buffy's, but in, like, kind of an opposite direction, where Buffy is, like, head cheerleader, and she's, like, the hot blonde in school who is, like, super popular and is essentially the teen dream. Mm-hmm. And he is not. He belongs more in, like, a, a Dazed and Confused style movie, mm-hmm. where he's, like, kind of a piece of shit, but they both are given a goal, and they go, oh, this matters more than the dumb shit I've been doing. Cool, I have something to work towards now. Yes, and it's... And I like that. It's also this nice sort of moment of kind of bucking the status quo, where now the pairing is, you know, the head cheerleader popular girl in school, and the burnout, and, like, it's up to them to save the world. Yeah. And I I like that. I like this idea of let's break down these, like, invisible barriers that we've invented for ourselves due to the cruel politics in high school, 
and whatnot, to quote uh, Courtney Shane and Jawbreaker, um, but break that down and work together because that's what we have to do. And I like that. I yeah. like that messaging. It's almost like, you know, the, the cute girl that everyone likes is uh, teaming up with a stoner to save the world, a la Cabin in the Woods. I mean, <laughs> if we're gonna go into the, the Whedon... The Go universe. in the Whedon Woods. Go into the Whedon Woods, then I guess that's where we're gonna go. Um, so Pike also has a lot of like really genuinely good moments of humor. Oh yeah, he's so much fun. And I think that uh, we can we can lead into his partner in crime because I think the the, the best scene that Pike has is easily after uh, his buddy Benny uh, David Arquette has been turned into a vampire and he shows up at his house. He's just knocking on his window. Knocking on his window like it's goddamn Salem's Lot and just. Floating, you know, on up on like the third floor or whatever, and Pike is still like either still drunk or hungover or something. He's he, a little sleepy. He's a little sleepy, and he's just having this matter of fact conversation where David Arquette's like, "Come on, man, let me in," because you know, vamp- I'm hungry. Because you know, vampire rules, you have to be invited in. And uh, he's just looking at him like, "No, you're floating," and it's so genuine because it's like. I mean, yeah, like, no one else is going to sit there and be like, oh my goodness, what's happened to you? Are you magic? They're going to go, the fuck, you're floating! Yeah, also, like, it's so matter of fact, because, like, that's his bro. Yeah. He's not going to be like, oh my god, I'm horrified because you're going to hurt me. He has no reason to think that David Arquette's going to hurt him, because David Arquette's a nice dude. Yeah, he's <laughs> and, like, David Arquette is so funny in this movie like his facial acting with like his eyes are bugging out and he's doing a really good like mouth work with those he's, teeth. he's very hammy it's fantastic it's it's probably one of my favorite things he's ever done and again it like really kind of bugs me because this is a movie that is really shining a light on a lot of the comedic chops of so many of these actors. Yeah. And it always gets forgotten about. Well, especially because so many of these actors are going to be like a who's who of people who get big in the 90s, like later in this decade. One of the other side characters that I really love who is uh, really understated is Steven Root. Oh my god, yeah, Steven Root as the principal. Yes, this is like his first role where his character has a name. Yeah, he's not just like... You know, I think it's, like, agent number three or something. Yeah, it's just, he's, like, plays, like, cops and, like, security guards and shit like that. And they don't have actual character names. This is one of his first ones. And he's so much fun and he's a huge dork. I love when he's going around at the end of the movie and giving detention slips to all the dead vampires at the dance. Oh, it's so funny. Like, he's so good. And he sort of feels like a a John Goodman niche in my soul where Mm -hmm. he's just really fantastic when they give him serious roles. But he also has, like, some amazing comedic chops for just, like... Like a stuffy white uncle or dad type. Like, he's really fucking funny. Hilary Swank is also super good in this movie, where she has this Beverly Hills curled lip where she's just showing nothing but teeth the whole movie. She is just permanently disgusted. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, oh my god, everything is just upper lip, and it's like, the whole time. And it's wonderful. And she's so funny in this. Yeah, this is like a two-time Academy Award winning actor in a teen movie. And yes. she, like, you you watch this and you see those those skills and that you see that talent. Like, she has probably one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, which is when all the vampires show up to prom because this is a movie that actually ends at prom. Yeah, this is um, what, our third one? <laughs> but this, she has that moment where, you know, Buffy tells her, like, don't let them in because they're, you know, they're fucking vampires. And she goes, I already did. They're seniors. And just that earnesty of like, well, I can't let them out. It's the last year that they could do this. 
Like, it's so great. And the delivery is perfect. Buffy, this is the last dance of our last year. This <laughs> is life or death, essentially. <laughs> and I just, I love having that character because I, I think we all had that person in high school. Oh, yeah. Like, we all had that, you know, honestly, they're probably still in our hometowns. Um, you don't say. And I, I think that, that that's a really cool message to have of, like, hey, guess what? High school kind of doesn't fucking matter. And this isn't important. This happens to be the dance. Right. It's a dance. It's a stupid dance with a bunch of stupid people that I see every stupid day. Uh-huh. Like, now we're, like, stupid. No, that's the whole theming of this movie is that high school doesn't matter. It's all about, like, you know, Pike and Buffy realizing that there's bigger things and bigger Mm -hmm. problems in the world than what they're doing. And that's a lot of where, like, a share comparison comes in, aside from, like, the surface level stuff, is that whereas she comes to her, you know, I guess her her good nature work that she wants to do in the world... Mm through sort of her own means like she's helped a little bit along the way but she wants to do like humanitarian stuff a la like a Greenpeace style sort of thing versus Buffy who it's more direct because she's like the chosen one right this is your destiny yeah so she's doing things in the same sort of way but through different means and something like that can be criticized maybe because you have like male characters sort of guiding her along her way like when she uh, is dejected towards the end of the movie after Merrick dies mm-hmm. spoilers I guess but <laughs> so after Merrick dies uh, she's like I need to pick out a dress and go to prom because I'm just done I don't want to do this anymore and Pike's like Buffy we gotta save the world and it's sort of like these two main characters keeping her on her path which we could criticize as being like oh well you know it's it's men deciding what's what a woman's going to do especially more for Merrick where it's like this father figure type role mm-hmm. of like buffy i expect you to do what i expect you to do it's it's what it's your destiny this is the role you're supposed to play which is like a, a parental expectation almost but that doesn't feel like a fair comparison cuz we don't make that for dude characters who are in like a hero's journey type thing no we don't it's really sexist to do that to buffy yeah i think that it's it's ridiculous because we look at like these obi-wan type characters um who typically are assigned to male characters that are on their journey and we don't give them that same sort of criticism nobody is writing think pieces about why like alfred is you know detrimental to batman like nobody writes that shit no but, you know, the second you talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and they'll be like, um, Merrick is actually, um, preventing Buffy. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, no. <laughs> like, that's... He's, he's not letting her do what she wants to do. And it's like, well, th- yes, but it's like, in, in that parental figure thing, sure, he's preventing her from what her aspirations were. But, like, when you're, like, 17, maybe the things you want in life are stupid and you can do better. <laughs> he's pushing her to be better in a, a parental thing, but also, like, a teacher role. And that's, right. that's good. <laughs> right. And, yeah, that's very much how I feel about it, too. Because, like, I, I do not bemoan films that have these sort of guiding roles, especially if the person that they're guiding is a teenager. Like Oh, absolutely. I, like, that doesn't bother me in any way, shape, or form. So thinking about our theming of, you know, realizing that there's more to life than what goes on in high school, this realization comes at the hands of some of our other side characters. Oh my god, I love them so much. Your favorite side characters. Oh my god, I love them so much. So (laughs) let's talk about our two vampire villains. Which one would you like to start with? I have an idea, but I'd love for you to explain it. Oh my god, I love Paul Rubens so much. He's amazing. (laughs) Like, he's so much fun. 
In a different universe, Paul Rubens would have been the greatest character actor ever, but then he had to go and succeed as Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> so then we don't get more amazing roles like him in Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Matilda or Mystery Men. I but am I, right there with you. I love him so much in this movie. I am just giddy every time he's on screen because he's so much fun and he's so, so captivating. I, I just complain that there's not more. Amelin is easily the best character in the entire movie. Oh, absolutely. And I really cannot picture anyone else playing the character other than Paul Rubens. No, he's so good, and he is my certainly a top five deaths. We're immortal, Buffy. You can do anything. <laughs> oh, yeah? Clap. You're gonna wish you died. going after the credits and he gets and he gets a lot of the sort of like Whedonese uh sort of lines oh yeah it's it, it he sells them I think the best and that's one reason he's so likable as like a, a doofy bad guy because you know he's a he's a second in charge he's a he's a right hand man which is good because that's the arm that he was left with <laughs> Jesus well you're, you're welcome <laughs> I'm gonna die. <laughs> You're welcome. But yeah, after he loses his left arm, he has one of my favorite lines in the whole movie where he's like, you ruined my new jacket. Kill him a lot. <laughs> and like, it's it's so matter of fact and earnest. That's the thing I like the most about this movie is like, they have these ridiculous lines that for anyone else, it would sound really hokey, but for some reason they just sound really earnest and it's Fun. Well, they're almost like action movie lines. Yes. Which yes, this yes. movie is sort of an action movie. Like, it's definitely got action. That's certainly not, like, that would be maybe the eighth genre right. that it would <laughs> that would fall under in chronological order. But, like, it makes sense for this universe. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel weird or out of place. And I just, I like this, I like this bubble that we're in. I, I do, too. I think it's, it's a nice bubble to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and I think that the... Something we haven't talked about yet that I really love. Um, I love the vampire design in this movie. And let me just say, I am somebody who has a Fright Night tattoo, a Let the Right One In tattoo, and a Dracula's Daughter tattoo. All of your tattoos are vampires. All of my tattoos are vampire movies. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie has my favorite vampire design in any movie that is such a I love, that is such an impressive thing for you to say i love that they have like mouths that look like they're stained with kool-aid i love the the teeth feel very much kind of like this is something that you could do for halloween i love that the costuming of them is they all suddenly look like they they took like sales rack lost boys clothes yeah i love it's a little lost boys but like they were a little depressed because they were listening to the cure so they just couldn't put the full <laughs> yes. outfit together yes and i love that like there are some of the vampires straight up are just wearing like oversized sweaters and beanies like i'm so into this shit 
So, so I just, I love these vampire designs and you know, the one I think who has kind of the, the peak of the good vampire design is our head honcho is Lothos, which is, you know, Mr. Hobo with a shotgun himself, Rutger Hauer. He is such a drag queen in this movie. He is doing so much drag in this movie. Uh, I, I love his costume and his character because it feels like a hammer film. Yes. But cheaper. Yes, yes, yes. Like, and that's kind of the thing here is all of these vampires are really fun and have really good designs, but they're also a little on the cheap side, and that makes them really more endearing to me. Like, there's a point where he's getting lowered down, and he's got, like, his cape extended out with, like, those sticks on poles to, like, make it stretch the whole distance. And he's also just so sassy. Like, oh my god, this fantastic. is your defense, please. Like, oh, okay, queen, calm yourself. <laughs> I love that there's a scene where Buffy kills uh, Paul Rubin's character, and he's like... We are immortal. We can do anything. And she goes, oh yeah? Clap. And then stakes him. And <laughs> Lothus just sits there in the corner playing the violin like, well, what? I'm, whatever, bye. <laughs> and he's playing the violin with gloves. The fact that he plays the violin with gloves is like such a fucking power move. I don't know violin, but I don't know if you can play with gloves on. I, I feel like it's going to mute your sound. I think it will too. Like you need to get that like good grip and he's got like like those are some intense They're like, very thick. thick gloves. He's not wearing like nice tight opera gloves. <laughs> no, no. These are like some I'm about to write a motorcycle gloves. Yeah, like they're 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 chunky. So, but he's <laughs> so much fun and I like how he looks and he's also like a sassy fucker but like not in a like a snively like kind of way that uh Paul Rubin's character, whose name I don't bother Amon. to learn. Yes. I, I will never bother to learn that. <laughs> so it, it, he's not kind of like as, he's not as blatantly campy, mm-hmm. but he's totally a different, he's, he's, he's gay camp, not just goofy camp. Yeah, he, like Lothos is definitely like, he is an old queen. He's like, oh, yes. I'm done. <laughs> and oh I'm, dear. Um, and hmm. I'm so into it. I think, I think that it's wonderful. <laughs> He's the oldest queen. <laughs> I mean, he's thousands of years I was like, old. Canonically, probably he's ancient. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so we have all of these characters together, and you know, yeah, they they bring some really interesting moments of theming, and one of them, I think, is this this idea of growth and the the growth that we have as high schoolers. And realizing, like, this is not the end-all be-all. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the whole the whole point. There's definitely your, your Hilary Swank-type characters who, I feel like their outlook is, oh, my life peaks in high school and I'm going to go on to do other things, but, like, this is the most important thing. And I'm from small-town Ohio. There are absolutely people who probably still wear their Letterman's jacket in the eight bars in a four block radius from where I'm from, mm-hmm. who just sit there and like, they just think about how, man, when I scored that touchdown in game four of senior year, I've never felt so alive. Yeah. I know people like that too. And I, I, I'm always torn between being, you know, yay, good for you. This is the life that you're choosing to live. And also being like fuck like you've never seen the world you have no idea what life is like outside of where you have spent your entire existence yeah and these people are assholes to me so uh they can go fuck themselves as far as i'm concerned (laughs) i mean that's very true uh they uh they they definitely are not you know super nice to to me either in the sense that in the the two main things that i always have to deal with from you know going back home is the, the last time i went back home to visit Uh, I went to the local bar where my parents used to, you know, sort of hang out with at the time. 
And uh, this was after I had cancer. And like all of these people would come up to me who treated me like absolute dog shit in high school. And they were like, oh my God, like you were in my prayers. Like, congratulations. You're so strong. You're such an inspiration. And I just look at them and I'm like, you hate me. Like, what? Fuck you. Leave me alone. You don't get to act like you're friends with the cancer girl now that you're 30. Like, eat shit. Like, I don't want to <laughs> deal with you. So it's like, I had that moment. And then also, you know, when you and I first got together, that apparently was the big news back home was that, oh my God, PJ is dating a trans woman. I don't think that those are the words they used. Probably not, but that's not my word to use. So They were probably like... The woman that BJ is dating wasn't always a woman. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you know what I mean, penis. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably exactly that. And you probably are nicer than they were. And it's this. I'm, I'm known for my kindness. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. Um, so that's something that I also have to deal with where it's like the same people who, you know, didn't ever see the world, didn't leave our hometown, didn't do anything, who thought high school is the end all be all. And it is to them because that's, that's all they have. Yeah. They're done. <laughs> like, yeah. So Buffy in a sense is graduating past this and moving on to bigger, better things. She is, she is outgrown her town in a mm-hmm. sense or certainly outgrown her high school absolutely she has outgrown the life that she was very much complacent in yeah and like we've talked about how this is in pasadena which is not small like it's no. it's it's for big uh especially compared to where i'm from but this movie has a small town feel you know mm-hmm. it definitely feels like she's in like that bubble Yes, I, th- I absolutely think so. And I think that that's a thing, especially if you are somebody who was, I don't want to say like successful because what the fuck does that even mean? But if you were somebody who were very accomplished as a high school student, that can be a very weird awakening. And as somebody who was a very accomplished high school student, I might relate to that a little bit more than I would care to admit. Your IMDb of high school would be insane. (laughs) So, I mean, I talk about how I was, you know, like, goth Tracy Flick growing up, but I remember I had this moment where I was finishing my senior year, and honestly, it was kind of like a book smart moment, but I was finishing my senior year, and it was like, I am, you know, captain of my majorette squad. I'm, you know, co-captain of a world champion baton twirling team. I'm the first person to go to nationals for speech team from my school. I won this like massive essay competition um, for my county that like I got to go to like the state capitol and present at and no one from my school had ever done that before. I was, you know, president of the Thespian Society and I was like doing student government and I was a teacher's aide. Like I did everything possible that you could do as a high schooler and I not only did them but I was like the best at them and there was this moment probably around like April of my senior year where I just kind of like sat back and I was like what the fuck was this for because I'm gonna go to college next year and it's not gonna matter you you had a midlife crisis of schooling I mean kind of where it was like (laughs) fuck, none of this matters. Like, no one fucking cares. Yeah, they're not going to care what extracurriculars you took in college. No, not at all. And then what's weird is that you have both this moment... There, there's really a couple directions that this can take you, is that you either have that realization and then it crushes you and you're like, I've wasted my life. Yeah, you just roll over and die. 
Right. And you're like, well, I have to stay here forever because, you know, that's where, this is where I'm cool. Like, I hit my peak. I need to never leave here. Yeah, it's the, whatever, the the big fish in a little pond yes. kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Or you have this moment of, it doesn't matter. And I have a fresh start and I can go somewhere else and no one knows who I am or what I've done. And, you know, free fly little bird. And that is what I did. I mean, that worked out very well for me. I didn't yeah. have quite the accolades of you, but uh, when I came out as trans, I was quite the talk of the town mm-hmm. because there was like, my town is not that big. It's like 10,000 people. So when someone just up and changes genders, mm-hmm. then, ooh, it is quite the buzz. And yeah. uh, I was infamous and I, uh, I chose not to leave my house because there was a lot of things I did not want to deal with until I moved out. And then when you moved out, then, like, how how were you able to, to live? Better. <laughs> I mean, I didn't move that far away. Like, I'm from a suburb, like, a, a distant suburb, but it's a suburb of the Cleveland area. Mm-hmm. And so I will occasionally run into people that are from where I'm from or certainly know where I'm from. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's still kind of close. And I get a little heebie-jeebies and ugliness. Mm-hmm. Not, like... Directly, it's more so like a me, like a like a, a a knot in my stomach. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a knot in my stomach where I just feel, go. I feel reminded of where I grew up because I have nothing but bad things to say about it. Especially now that my favorite hometown restaurant burned down, apparently. So <laughs> now I have no reason to go back. <laughs> Sorry for laughing, but I remember when we <laughs> we saw the news report that it had burned down. The response was just no. I will never be able to get their french fries ever again. Oh, it's the saddest day. I had gotten the same order every time I went there for like 25 years. (laughs) Where you go there and you get your hot dogs, which for some reason taste better than any other cheap hot dogs on the planet. Mm -hmm. And then you get nacho cheese and then you just put too many french fries on your cheese. Yeah. And that's like, ugh. It was was, It was my jam. And now I will never have it from there again. I'll have to find some other place that will do an acceptable version. Because, like, what is with my hot dog places burning down? Steve's lunch burned down a couple years ago, too. <laughs> like, all of my favorite hot dog places burned down. R.I.P. hot dog places. So, would you, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a long, weird, connected tangent here that will get us back to the movie, I swear. Well, like, we've gone on a lot of tangents. <laughs> I, if you can bring us back around oh, I'm easily. Bringing it, I'm bringing it back, but you got, you got to trust me on this and go with me on this. Hit me with that K-turn. So there's a musical that I really like. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a musical I really like called Title of Show, and it's about people who are, like, writing a musical. And there is a song in it called Die Vampires Die. But they're not talking about literal vampires. They're talking about how as we get older, there are peop- like different types of people in our lives that try to hold us back. Either they like are just draining us of our energy because they're annoying or because they're not helpful or because they want us to completely change whatever it is that we're doing and like who we are as people to be more palatable. And the idea is that you need to like kill those vampires in your life, not literally, but like, you know, set those boundaries, like tell them to fuck off. Like you need to kill these vampires because it's, it's about what makes you happy and what makes you grow. And I think 
that that metaphor could be used for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where, you know, she has this idea of what life is like and what she wants, and then she's invaded by fucking vampires, and it's like, nope, if I want to, like, do what I want and be who I'm supposed to be, I gotta kill these motherfucking vampires. Yeah, I mean, you ever have an eye-opening experience where now you have this new thing presented to you and you go oh, that's what I want to do. Yes. And this, I think, this is that. And I think that's what it is. And obviously it's presented as this whole like, oh, the chosen one sort of thing. So it's kind of, you know, non-negotiable. But, you know, there's this moment when Merrick is trying to convince her, you know, that you're the chosen one, that this is your destiny. And he does so by saying, have you ever had a dream that you were someone else? And her response is Yes. And haven't we all? Haven't we all? Have you ever had a dream that that that? Sorry, I had to because I almost said it the first time, so now it's just stuck in my head. Um, but she says yes, and he's like, "Oh, was it you know like a medieval barmaid? Was it an Indian princess? Was it a slave?" And I have a little bit mixed feelings on that exchange because on one hand, I'm like, this is awesome. I love the idea that the chosen one can be anybody, mm-hmm. that it can be somebody from a different culture, from a different time. Like, I love that idea. But then it's also like, yeah, we have all these different options for the chosen one and we're focusing on the blonde girl from Southern California. Yeah, and obviously this is this is not to excuse it as being like, oh, well, I mean, it's unfortunate that the... Egyptian or South Korean or any of the number of other metaphorical avatars in this cycle <laughs> yeah, couldn't have been the one to succeed. <laughs> but I kind of like that this presents it as the chosen one can be anyone. Mm-hmm. And the reason that Buffy is successful is because she works with Merrick rather than simply following him. But then again, that also makes the argument that like, well, then why is it the blonde girl that listened? You know? So, because she's stubborn, and yeah. you could make an argument that um, when he when they first meet, he says, "Oh, I should have came to you years ago." So maybe there was more. She had time to like become more full fledged in her stubborn ass personality than other people. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to read it, but ultimately, the thing that I that I take away from it is I love this idea that the Buffy story and the the arc of Buffy taking out, you know, the vampire hunting and all that, like, this is for everybody, this is for every, for every woman, that you are not limited by, by your circumstances. And, you know, you can, you can push forward. But, you know, obviously some people have an easier time than others. And that's also Mm -hmm. something to keep in mind. But that's something that I, I, I like taking away from it and is also something that I'm kind of sad, kind of got retconned with the series, because I'm going to be real, this is where I'm going to go on my t- tangent about the series. Great, me too. So, so Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, is written by Joss Whedon. And he has pretty much told fans that this is non-canonical, like, don't watch it. I hated that movie. It's not my vision. I don't like it. Blah, 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 blah. And fans of the series, um, a lot of them have kind of followed suit because they have such an affinity for the series. And I get it. I like the series. I really do like the series. But my Buffy is movie Buffy. And that was the first Buffy that I had. And it does not sit right in my person to hear a man talk about how much he hates what was changed by the director. And the director is Fran Kazooie, who is a woman. And it really bothers me that this man is like, no, this story about a teen girl is not my vision when the director was a 
acting girl. Yeah, and this kind of gets into the feminism of Joss Whedon that I have issues with as a whole, mm -hmm. is that one, Joss Whedon's feminism is very white. Oh, yeah, because Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, does have a friend that is black. Buffy, like, in, when you look at, like, the Scoobies of the series. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't like Joss Whedon very much. I like things Joss Whedon does, generally when he works with other people. Mm -hmm. I think he works well as a, a, a part of a, of a puzzle, mm -hmm. but in the same way that a lot of people say, like, oh, but Joss Whedon writes such good female characters... I don't, I'm not convinced he fully does. I think he writes better female characters than a lot of people just because a lot of guys don't know how to write female characters. Mm -hmm. But he would never be the first person I would go to for how to write female characters. He wouldn't even be the, like the first guy I would go to for how to write female characters. I just feel like the bar is so low that it's not hard to be impressive to an extent. And I realize, like, I'm being very harsh on Joss Whedon, but mm -hmm. I've also had Buffy fans screaming at me for, like, my whole life about how, what do you mean he doesn't write good female characters? He wrote Buffy. And I go, yeah, well, he also screwed up Ellen Ripley, so... <laughs> right. I, uh, yeah, I, it's sort of a moot point there. He, we've broken even. And something that is always really frustrating with a creator like Joss Whedon is that he definitely did do good things. I mean, the very... There's some good stuff I like. The very first lesbian kiss on primetime television was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer the series, and that's great. But to me, I think a lot of times people tend to cling to those, like, we are so used to, especially as queer people, and in all honesty, as anybody who identifies with a marginalized gender, we are so just desperate for any sort of representation that we will hold precious and hold dear things that are not good enough. And we're just like, but this is all we have. And it's like, okay, well we can strive for better and we can strive for more. And that's not to say that the things that Joss Whedon does that are, you know, groundbreaking and progressive are not without their merit because they are. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but we're not done here. Like yeah. I want more and I want better. We are, we are constantly growing and evolving and fighting more of our own personal vampires to make the world a better place. Exactly. Exactly. And if we're on the subject of ranting about the show... Oh no. Uh, I have nervous. a couple things. I'm nervous. You don't need to be nervous. <laughs> so, as a trans person, as a queer person, I've been told for a very long time... For since I came out as trans, you know, over a decade now, I've had people telling me about how much I should love Buffy. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it is led in by saying, oh, your name's Harmony. Do you watch Buffy? Well, yes, because, and because say, obviously they know that you have chosen this name for yourself. So the immediate assumption is that you chose this based on Buffy. No, which like the funny thing of that is I go, uh, no, I've... I've I've seen a little, but I'm not really into Buffy. And they go, oh, that's fine. Like, Harmony's a bitch in that show anyway. Which, I've heard that so many times, and you are like, no, Harmony's one of the best written characters in the show. Well, I like, see, here's the thing. Harmony on the series really resonates with me because she's behind, like, the Reform Vampires movement, which is essentially, like, we need to learn to coexist with each other, which on paper I'm really, really into, but also, like, that's a really good metaphor for, like, white feminism. But that's neither here nor there. This is not a Buffy the Series podcast. This is a Buffy the Movie podcast. Yeah, and the way that you talked about how this is your Buffy, like, movie Buffy is your Buffy, mm -hmm. I saw the show first. I was more aware of the show first because I didn't see the movie or was even aware of the movie until 
I was aware of it probably when I was like 18 or something and then didn't watch it for another seven years after that. Mm -hmm. And I want movie Buffy to be my Buffy. And guess what? She can be. She can be. In my brain, when you say Buffy, I immediately go, the show. Ugh. Then I go, the movie. So, like, I have this gut reaction to thinking of the show first because I have had Buffy fans shoving it down my throat. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this in the past on the show about how when someone is hammering something on you so hard that your apathy turns sour Mm -hmm. and you aren't interested in it. And the show is just not for me. And it does not help that every time someone goes, no, but, like, I'll show you a few episodes and you'll get into it. And then they pick, like... Season five episodes where you need like, you know, 120 episodes of context to really feel the emotional sting because apparently they're tone deaf and don't know how to read the room. And they go, well, we'll watch the musical episode. That episode's really good. And I think that no one can sing and the songs aren't particularly great. It's certainly no Scrubs the musical episode. Well, first off, nothing is Scrubs the musical because that is the most perfect musical episode of television. But the thing that also bothers me, the sh- like, oh, I hate that you're getting me to talk about this series. The musical it's fine. episode we can also, veer off of the scene. It also pisses me off because Anthony Head, who plays you know Giles, is a legitimately talented singer and he's barely used in that episode. Whatever. So. I have vented my frustrations about how I'm sick of people screaming at me about the show that I'm just never gonna, it's never gonna be for me. So let's champion the movie. Let's, let's move on back to that. Let's move on back to that because you, you're touching on something that is starting to come up a little bit more frequently in a lot of these episodes, which is this idea of like this weird, like, like female experience or queer experience gatekeeping where it's like, well, if you like the movie more than the series, then, like, there's something wrong with you. Or, like, if you don't like the series at all, then, like, you're not part of it or you don't understand. And that is such, like, dangerous and toxic fucking behavior. Agreed. And it needs to stop. Like, if you like something, you like something. If you don't, you don't. And the other thing, too, is, like, this is one of those things where we should be championing people who are thinking critically because that's important. Yeah. I don't want people to just repeat thoughts that they have just argued if it's not applicable. I don't want them to just parrot other people who said Mm -hmm. something that they think is really smart without actually analyzing it. Certainly in the context where I'm bringing something to the table, like Mm -hmm. being like, here's why the movie's good. Here's why the show doesn't work for me. And they go, I just want to wait for you to stop talking so I can talk to you about what I have to say, not actually respond to what you have to say yes and that's super fucking frustrating yes it's it's incredibly frustrating and the thing that really again does not sit right with my person is i hate the fact that rather than someone like joss whedon being like hey you know what that was my my first run on buffy i got to do a lot more with it in the series but you know just think of the the movie as its own separate entity that would be so much more beneficial than being like, I fucking hate it, don't watch it. Because it does such a grave disservice to everybody else who worked really hard on that project, who made it something really special. Because it's such an unfair thing to do to be like, well, the the character arc of Buffy in the series is better. You know, shit, you have seasons to do that. This is an hour and 20 minute movie. Yeah. So it, it just, it's such an unfair comparison. And not only that, but like, there are people who love the movie who this was their introduction to Buffy. And in all honesty, without the Buffy movie, you probably wouldn't have even gotten the series because if this is his, his first draft, so to speak, then he needed this to figure out how to make the show that everyone loves so much. Yeah. 
when we were watching the movie the last time um, for the podcast, the similarity that I made when I have to discuss fans about this is about how my favorite Batman movie is the one from the 60s. Mm-hmm. And that is, that I can, I can watch that movie whenever and have a great time and feel good and, you know, take my good things, take my bad things, whatever. And then people who really love Batman, which I'm a fairly lukewarm Batman fan. This is a Batman household. Ah, God, I love that story. I'm going to finish my thought and then I want you to tell that story because it's amazing. But as I get older, I sort of become less of a fan of Batman as a concept. And I certainly don't like arguing with Batman fans because... They will always say like, oh, but like 89 Batman is is the best Batman movie or the Dark Knight is the best Batman movie. You just like that goofy one because like it's not serious. And my response to that is that Batman Returns is my second favorite one. The one everyone complained <laughs> was too dark. So neither here nor there. But it's this same kind of gatekeeping thing where it's like, you're not really a fan of Batman and you couldn't really X, Y, Z thing when... The 60s Batman was like a huge hit and a huge mm-hmm. groundbreaker and put the character on the map outside of comic books. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have gotten other Batman probably, certainly not in the arc- incarnations that we got them, mm-hmm. without Adam West Batman. Yeah, and it's it, I really have such a distaste for people who are just like, but it's not what I like. And blah, 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 blah. Like... I'm not expecting people to like everything. I don't no. think that people need to, just because I like something, that means that it's, you know, better than whatever. I don't think that that's it at all. But there's this weird sort of, I, I wish death of the author would occur, where it's like, okay, yeah, this isn't what Joss Whedon is happy with, but you can still like this. Like, there is still merit there, and benefit to there's this. There's still good parts of this. Honestly, I think there's, there's not a lot of bad parts of this movie. No. Other than people just... It's not what they want. I think that it walks a really nice line between kind of seriousness and camp that was not appreciated for a very long time. But you look back at it, and I think people have this idea in their head of what they thought the Buffy movie was. And then they rewatch it, and you're like, oh, no, this makes a lot of sense. Like, a lot of this weird and whackness, like, fits perfectly in the world that it's set. Yeah. And it's like... I am here for a fun time, not a smart time. That is how I approach all movies, is I want to I, I, I want to have fun. I don't care if it's stupid. Obviously, I can branch out and like I can have my, my fancy, thinky art house films, and I can appreciate those too. But my bread and butter is I want something fun, mm-hmm. and I want my hour 25 with bright <laughs> colors and says just as many valid things, shit or get off the pot. And here's the thing. Your opinion on that is just as acceptable as those that really like the series. One is not inherently better than the other, and I wish that we would just stop acting like that they can't both exist in this world, because that that is where my frustration comes in. Yeah. And this is as somebody who really does like the series and who really loves this movie. I like that they both exist, but they are completely separate entities for me. But the people that are like, no, the movie shouldn't exist... Fuck you. Like, yeah. it, I'm glad it exists. Yeah, we don't judge a lot of other these, like, remade properties like Wonder Woman the same way. Right. Where it's like, Linda Carter's Wonder Woman is just as good as Gal Gadot's one, but they're completely different. In- enjoy both of them. Right. It's, uh, look, I look at something like, like, like a Doctor Who, right? Yeah. Where it's a show that's been around for, like, 50 plus years. It's had so many different actors play the Doctor. And, like, if you are able to, like, switch your brain and be like, okay, I like this. Now, you know, now this one's really old. Now this one's super young. 
young. Now this one's a lady. Like, cool. Do that with other things. Like, you can do that. It's not going to suddenly break you. But it's you. not what I want. <laughs> so, we've got all that out of our system. You need to tell a story about why we are a Batman oh household. Oh my god, okay. So this is, again, has nothing to fucking do with anything we're talking about. But um, there was a moment where my dad and I uh, were driving down to Florida, which is where my parents now live, and he had picked me up from college. And on the way down, we were driving through Metropolis, which has, like, the world's largest Superman statue, which I really... I could give or take Superman. I'm from Cleveland and I don't like Superman. Yeah, I could give or take Superman. It's whatever. Um, but like seeing that statue is kind of a once in a lifetime thing. And I was like, oh, cool. Like su- giant Superman. Dad, can we can we stop and go see that? And in the middle of the highway, my dad slams on the brakes and goes, no, this is a Batman household. And I was like, okay, then I guess we're not fucking going to see Superman. <laughs> you love your dad so much. Your dad is like every side character that I fall in love with in every Teen Girl movie. Is this, He's, are you in love with my dad? That's a weird confession. Yeah, well, you have the same face. We, we really do. When I wear makeup, <laughs> I look just like my dad. <laughs> so, back on topic, where are we going to pick this back up? You... Your, your metaphor about Batman um, is is pretty similar with, you know, how I feel about Buffy. Like, Batman and Superman can exist in the same world, just as Buffy movie and Buffy series can exist in the same world. Yeah. It's like, you have a kid, and you have your firstborn. I know where this is going. <laughs> yes, well, we've been rewatching it. You have your firstborn, and you name your firstborn Hank. And then you go, I'm not happy with my child. I'm going to have a second kid. I'm going to name him Good Hank. That's how people treat the show versus the movie. And I just like the movie so much more. And the thing is, the entire message of that episode of King of the Hill is that there was nothing wrong with the first Hank to where you needed to rename the second child Good Hank because they're both wonderful. Yeah, Cotton is Joss Whedon and he says things like, you know, well, Dad, if you if you name a kid Good Hank, that implies I'm Bad Hank. And he goes, whatever, B.H., like, and like, that's, that's, ex- I hate that that's the most perfect metaphor for this, but it really is. Like, Buffy the movie is not bad Buffy. It's just a different Buffy and there's nothing wrong with it. We can love them both. It's just, it's different parts of your brain. Just learn to look at different parts of your brain. It's okay. I promise. I promise you. You feel better. I do. I feel a little bit better now. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I just needed to get... I just have a lot of feelings, and I really like vampires, and it just makes me so sad. I just want to hug every vampire. I just want to hug. (laughs) So, yes, if there's one thing that you take away from this podcast, it's that you can love both Buffies. Why must we pit strong women against each other? You know, that's really the best way of summarizing this. (laughs) All right, Harmony, I think I already know the answer to this, but just in case I don't. You are being asked to prom by Buffy the Vampire Slayer of the movie. Do you say yes, no, or maybe? And do you put a note on your return? That's going to be a huge yes for me. (laughs) I could not be more excited to go to this prom. I want to be the guy who's fighting off the vampires trying to come in through the window with a cardboard monkey (laughs) and have that kind of a party. And I even want to go to this prom without there being any third wave ska present. Oh, we were so close to getting through an episode without mentioning third wave ska. That's because this predates third wave ska. It does. <laughs> this is still like ska is underground still. Like like the Boston's <laughs> were kicking around, but they didn't have their breakthrough hit yet, you know? Oh my God. 
Like, I, I, I will bring up Scott any chance I get in these things because it's the 90s. It's like, give me what I want. <laughs> so, yes, you're going to go to prom even though there's no Scott? Yes, because the music here is also banging. It is pretty banging. I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big fan of this. Well, I think that takes us out on this episode talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. That is also where we post where you can find whatever movie we are watching for the next episode. Any streaming links, any sort of access you may need, we post it there so that you can watch and play along with us at home. You can find me on social media at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can we find you? Mine isn't just my name. I am at Velocitraptor on Twitter and Instagram, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, huge, huge, huge thank you for the wonderful performers of our theme song that is titled by the Sonderbombs. Listen to them on Spotify, buy their music on Bandcamp. And with that, thank you for listening and have a very spooky week. We got three more fun movies to come after this. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.